You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech. I'm your host, Dimitri Vitsa. I'm also the founder and CEO of Rock, Paper, Scissors. And our regular listeners know that we are constantly pushing up against the edge cases, the hybrids, the intriguing stuff that's really what makes culture what it is. And uh, you'll know that through the podcast, we've been digging into the connections between the music making side, the music recording side, along with the record distribution, the traditional music industry, the live industry, and so forth. So I'm super excited today for our guest. Um, for one thing, I don't know that we've had a lot of guests on who uh, run companies or apps that have as many users as our current guest. Um, with over 35 million users, BandLab is an incredible new way of making music that's been evolving for a while. And I'm really excited to have on the founder and CEO, Meng Kwok. Meng, how are you doing today? Pretty good, Dimitri. Tired, but uh, surviving. Uh, you know, we had a massive release uh, that just came up, so we've been, you know, slammed for it. But we're very happy to be here and going to catch up. I can't wait to hear about the new release and to talk to you about it. But let's let's start at the beginning because you know the the funny thing is I went to Nam a few years ago and saw this amazing Band Lab booth, and I was like, "What is going on here?" There was so many different aspects of what you guys do that was on display there, um, and it was front and center. It was a pretty significantly sized booth, and I, I I had heard the name Band Lab, but I didn't really know what it was. So when you first meet someone and they ask, "What is Band Lab?" What do you tell them? <laughs> Great question. I think from the context of you know having been to Nam, you know we we normally have a Bandlab Technologies booth, which is our group company. Um, but you know when it comes to the platform, which obviously is is you know our flagship product of the group, you know apart from the guitars that we build or the media companies that we have, um, you know easiest ways to understand Bandlab and the way I normally explain it is sort of like Facebook for music, but with GarageBand and SoundCloud slash Bandcamp built in, right? So it's a place wow. that um, <laughs> ambitious, but uh, um, you know it's a place today that people can share their music as well as obviously make their music which is the foundation of everything we do um so as you as you mentioned i think we're actually over 37 million registered users today and and you know all from all all walks of the of the world and uh creating more than 11 million tracks i think in may or june uh, alone on the platform from around the world which is just a crazy phenomenal amount of music um so so very excited to to be pushing a massive release and and that's kind of you know what the team has been super dedicated and focused on for the last couple of months you know, what's so interesting about your description is obviously making that much music and, and so many people making music, we're going to get into that. But before we do, you mentioned this, it's like a Facebook for music. And then you talk about all the production side of it, too. I mean, are you just saying it's like for sharing? Well, well, I, I think I think sharing is is, you know, when it comes to something like Facebook, uh, you know, I, I think the difference between um, the platform initially, you know, Web 1.0, one, Web 2.0 was just about sharing. But I think as we've moved into the new world, it's about connections and your connections live beyond the physical world, right? And, you know, in the past, it used to be that you have physical relationships and then they're shared and, and, and built upon on the digital world. But today, you know, the digital life of people is, is kind of where they live. And so, you know, when we describe it sort of as Facebook for music, it's a place where people are engaging around music. It's a, it's a niche social network in that sense, although obviously people who love music and engage around music is very, very big, but it's not just about sharing. And, and you know, the make is is a key part of the whole thing. And, and the foundation really of BandLab is, is also around the premise of despite having great tools to make music, 
music making is not just about the tools, right? Um, it's about the social feedback, the, 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 you know, the, the fan feedback, the interaction from your friends and family when you play them a song, you know, finding other collaborators to work with and, and you know, being inspired by musicians or other creators of the same uh, generation or the same stage in their development and the creative process as you are. So, um, yeah, I, I, think, I think it's a, a very long-winded way of saying, you know, sharing is a component of what we do, but really connection is, is you know, the key thing for us in, in the world of music making and, and music listening as well. That's so interesting to think about music making in this digital framework versus the traditional way in which music was made. Obviously, there's a social network, there's connections in people getting together to jam and then write and compose and arrange and then record and then go on tour and all that kind of stuff. It's clearly social. There's clearly a network there, but it's, it's physical is just so limited in terms of how many people you can interact with. And when you switch to digital, it's, it's like the quantity of people, the number of collaborators, the distance between collaborators it just means like a crazy amount of ideas can be explored and put together so it's really interesting that you start with that that concept for sure and i think the move of you know as we talked about web 2.0 or 3.0 whatever whatever version we're at right you know we're at bandlab 10.0 today and i think you know it all feels arbitrary at a certain point but the reality of of that transition from the old world and the user behavior you know it, the, the versions really represent in our mind, and I think, you know, when it comes to digital to physical, you know, the transitions in even, you know, human user behavior, right? And I think when you and I were growing up or people of, of, of different generations, they've had very different experiences. So in the past, when you're, when you're learning an instrument or you want to make music, it's very much you pick up an instrument and you go to a literally a garage and you start a band with people from your town. And, and you know, it, it's, it's a very different experience to the world today that's empowered by the internet and the world of digital as well as smartphones and technology and that you know massive upgrade that we've all had in, in user behavior i think i you know i heard somewhere that that you know someone was talking about androids and and you know humans being powered by technology and the fact of the matter is that we are already you know powered by technology the mobile phone in everyone's hand is everybody's first instrument you don't go into a shop to um to buy a guitar or a piano as your first instrument very much for, for kids today who, you know, we all know grow up and use iPhones and iPads or Android devices, that's their very first instrument. And the instrument, you know, the traditional instrument, inverted commas, of a guitar is, is basically the upsell, right, in a, in a digital world. And people don't get together in person in, in, in the same way they did in the past. You can have these virtual garages online. And, and, you know, that's what we've actually had to build for, the fact that music making was left behind, the world of music creation and that entire sort of grassroots level of creating content was left behind when sort of the rest of the world migrated to Facebook and Instagram and, and more digital experiences because of you know what what you need to do to get together in person to make music low latency obviously from a technical barrier geographical barriers of finding people to to collaborate with who who get along with you and and you know uh, want to make music with you these are some of the challenges that sort of band that was built to solve but you know fundamentally come from that transition of going from a physical world to a primarily digital world that we live in today Wow. Yeah, it's that that is so intriguing to, to hear about. So let's get a little bit deeper into your actual community of users. How would you describe some of the, the typical users? Where, where are they in the world? Are there specific users you might be able to tell us about? Curious about different genres or, or music types or scenes that have popped up in BandLab? 
Yeah, so, you know, in terms of the users that we have in BandLab, at, at a certain level of scale, you know, when it comes to even musical instruments, which is an industry that that, we're, that we we work in as well within BandLab Technologies, you know, our brands like Harmony and Heritage and Mono, which are, you know, legendary brands in the music space, in the musical instrument space, you know, you have obviously a very, very, there, there are significantly more people who are prosumers or aspiring musicians or people getting into music than ever before. I think, you know, with the accessibility of BandLab has meant that we've been able to reach a very, very wide audience, especially today where everyone is engaging in music in a completely different way than ever before because of UGC video and short form video like TikTok and Instagram Reels. But our audience is one, because of the breadth of features that we have on BandLab, you can do everything from start to finish. So, you know, the ease of inspiration and, and the ability to kind of come up with ideas very, very quickly and build them out or even capture and develop things out to a very, very high level. We've got a mix of, of, of basically everybody in music from, you know, very, very beginner, uh, uh, absolute beginners, all the way to seasoned professionals and experienced multi-platinum producers who are using BandLab for the workflow tools, right? Um, in BandLab, one of our flagship features is our mix editor, which is a cross-platform DAW. Um, you know, by that, I mean that you can actually access all your projects both ways, you know, back and forth on mobile to desktop. The, the paradigm of BandLab and the, and the comparison is kind of like um, if you compare Google Docs to Microsoft Word, that's how you would compare, you know, BandLab to Ableton or GarageBand or the traditional plays in the space. So, you know, fundamentally do many of the same things, but it's a completely different paradigm. And that's where the workflow really comes in for professionals and, and people who, who obviously, you know, will always number in, in, you know, be a smaller number than the people who are learning and, and the masses of people who are aspiring and releasing music uh, casually on an amateur level. But, you know, all walks of life, all countries in the world. I think you know. I think we've we've uh, you know wherever there's an app store or a Play Store, and even in, in places like China, we're on on you know the Huawei store and and some different uh, stores because of the ways that uh, you know distribution of apps are set up there and platforms. Um, but you know, US is our biggest market, and and because we're so early in the supply chain of music, you know, in the way that, if you think about the supply chain of music of people making music, and then later it gets to distributors, later it gets to DSPs, we're so early at the ideation stage that I would say that a lot of the genres and the trends that we see on BandLab reflect not just obviously what, what is out there today because that's what's inspiring people, but it's also very interesting because it's also, you know, hopefully the, the genres of the future of music and what's going to be very big in the future. So today, you know, roughly 40 to 50% of the music on BandLab is, is R&B and hip hop. And I think that's, you know, partly driven by the fact that, you know, the U.S. is our biggest audience and that is, you know, the biggest genre today in the U U.S. And, and, you know, globally obviously is driving pop and, and you know so much of the music that's out there um, but in places like philippines where we're also very very big or brazil you definitely see different trends you know somewhere like the philippines is more uh, what we would call sort of traditional acoustic pop rock sort of guitar instrumental driven music um, and so you know we see different trends all around the world but uh you know it, it, it's very difficult to give one you know representation in the same way that today you know music has moved away from broadcasting at a certain level to, to narrow casting on an individual territory by territory basis so so if if you were you're talking about r&b and hip-hop people are basically doing vocals with a lot of like electric uh electric beats electronic beats and and samples and uh sounds and ambience and all that stuff that gets into a production but when you're talking about the 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 singer songwriters with the guitars they're actually 
playing their own guitar parts and recording them into their mobile phones. Or oh yeah, their, their absolutely. Tablets. Yeah, we have. You know, I think one of the 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 beauties of of the product that we have. You know, we have everything from recording audio and and, and complex FX and and you know filters for music in that sense, uh, as well as you know all the MIDI functions if you want to program a beat, a trap beat, or or different sort of forms of electronic music or, or beats for for rap. For example, and the fact that you know everybody has a very very high quality microphone in their pocket, um, and everybody has a voice, that is one of the ways in people are you know ways in which people are expressing themselves and able to create their different soundscapes. So yeah, you know, in, in places like the U.S., we see a lot of people making beats and then collaborating with others, and and you know uh, people who are vocalists jumping on those beats either to sing or to rap on top of them, uh, and then in in you know other places where there's you know great instrumental. Uh, um, uh, background, you know, you're seeing people recording their guitars on BandLab and, and, you know, playing drums using the MIDI instruments and then making their songs that way. Yeah, cool. Well, we'll get into some of the newest features with the the release that you mentioned at the very beginning of the conversation, uh, BandLab 10.0. But before we go there, what are some of the coolest features of BandLab even before that release? Before before BandLab 10.0, some of the you know the most popular features were uh, one of the most popular features was a feature that we had called the Looper, um, and, and I would say this is you know we joke internally that that it's very much your your grandma your grandpa instrument right something that anybody can just pick up um, you know it's carefully curated packs we've we've got loops and timed them in the right keys um, there's a lot of extensibility with the effects that you can actually do with it but you know it, it, it's it's very much sort of that mobile first music making experience where you tap a couple of buttons and then you have something and a vibe that you can then build out and then develop further. So, you know, compared to different applications where that is the, the only thing that the application can do. That is one of the different ingredients that you can actually use on BandLab. So you could use the looper to find a vibe, with, which then inspires you to build things out as you build up your production capabilities or your skills. Um, but in terms of you know one of the most popular features, that's obviously um, you know one of the most popular features. Another one is is you know something that we developed in house and proprietary to us. Uh, you know a, a uh, an effect called auto pitch, um, which is automatic pitch correction, um, which obviously helps people. You know, find that that iconic, um, you know, uh, sound that's used a lot in R and B and hip hop, and and you know that's something which is very very popular amongst our, our you know U S audience. Um, so yeah, between auto pitch and and uh, and um, the looper, as well as on the social side, we have a function called Creator Connect, which is um, uh, for for lack of a better term, you know, kind of a uh, Tinder where you can swipe, you know, you can swipe on different profiles and find people near you and and look for uh, the different. Uh, instruments or people that they, they, they are inspired by as a way of discovery. Um, so finding new musicians to collaborate with, that's a big part of the social side of BandLab and something that people find very, very uh, you know enjoyable to have their profiles there, but also as a way of meeting new people. Awesome. Super cool. Well, we're going to dig in some more, but first I got to take a quick break. When I come back, I want to ask you a little bit about the past year. It's been a strange year for the whole world, and I'm curious what it's been like for BandLab. We will be right back. Wow, I love talking to Ming about everything music tech. Okay, I want to give you the opposite of a spoiler alert. Let's call it an appetizer alert. You've got to stay tuned to the rest of this episode because we are announcing the 2021 Music Tectonics Startup Competition. And this time, we have some huge news about an investor who's planning to make an investment in our winner. And then, after you listen, head to musictectonics.com and find this episode on the podcast page. You'll see show notes full of links, including the link to apply 
to the competition. Now, let's get right back to the conversation and stay tuned to the end for our special announcement. All right, we are back. We have been digging into a lot of the interesting features on BandLab, but let's let's switch a minute to to sort of what's been going on this past year. Obviously, we're I don't know where I thought we were at the end of a pandemic. <laughs> um, <laughs> I hope we're at the end of a pandemic, but I'm just curious. What are some interesting things that have that have come out of BandLab during the past year? Well, as you said, it's it's a very very crazy time, and and you know no one could have expected a how long it would last, or, or b you know what it would mean for for the world and technology and, and industry. And I think you know one of the great things about being a technology company is that you know we were very very used to working remotely from from day one. We were always looking to find you know very efficient workflows. So you know the transition into a different work environment was nothing strange, um, which meant that you know even through this whole thing, we we're able to to develop and build our biggest release yet in, in probably the most efficient way. But I think as it relates to the community of people out there, um, you know, for a platform like BandLab, which, you know, if we, if we think back and we start remembering how we transitioned to using Google Docs or Google Sheets as, as, as you know, people in this world, you know, which today is taken for granted, that's sort of the transition that people, when they start using BandLab, have that realization of, oh, you know, I don't need to be sending files to myself or emailing things to myself if I have an idea or my phone and I and I, I want to work it on my desktop and pull it out into Ableton, you know, that work or, or even the other way around, you know, working on something on my desktop and I want to, you know, make music on it or work on it on the go when I'm sitting on my couch, right? In the past, it was on the commute and people were really seeing the value of that. But it, it's strange that when people were not sort of on the go and needing mobile even more and they were really sitting on their couch, that's actually when people realize and had the opportunity to try these new, uh, you know, workflows. And, and you know, it, it's been massive for us, A, in terms of the number of people who've had the extra time in this time economy, you know, where people are able to invest more time in themselves and their skills and pick up new things like making music. You know, the flip side is for the people who are already making music, who are, you know, which is obviously a, a massive audience already globally. Um, for them to actually invest the time and, and be willing to pick up something new and, and are now empowered by it, even as we start to come out of the pandemic, um, you know, the fact that they're empowered by this new technology in the same way that today, you know, we, we use Zoom conferences or video calls so much more than we would ever have, you know, done so in the past. Um, it, it, it's it's game changing for what we think is the future of creativity, but also obviously, you know, we have a sense of survivor's guilt that it was also game changing and really, you know, rocket propulsion for us as a business and as a company and, and, you know, our challenge is to keep up with it. Yeah, definitely. So, um, you have kept up with it <laughs> and you mentioned that, you, I mean, you know, in this, in this time period, you guys have also been able to build out the, the features as well. And let's dig into the latest release, this BandLab 10.0. What are the, the key new features of the update? So with with 10.0, you know, everything's been upgraded, uh, you know, from from uh, the, one of the biggest milestones for us, which was, uh, you know, a redesign and a rebrand of our current logo. So, you know, everything has had a facelift in, in the application. And, um, you know, it's one of the most exciting things to me personally, as as someone who's been building the business and, and driving the development of the product for for me to see sort of, you know, the, the usage and the credibility and the substance that is there with the product today to finally have the, the facelift and the polish that it deserves. But from a feature set as well, you know, we've, we've had the biggest set of releases that we've, we've ever done. You know, one of the, the biggest things is a product and a, and a new instrument in the mix editor called Sampler, um, which allows you to basically make music out of 
out of any sound, you know, whether you hear it on the go, it could be your voice, it could be your dog, it could be, um, you know, a sound of the train or, or, or you know, the, the rain outside your, your, uh, your window, you know, you're able to, you know, make anything into an instrument. And, and that's, you know, a massive feature, which, you know, again, people have traditionally used in music making, you know, all the way back. But this was something that required a lot of hardware. And now this is all available in the palm of your hands on your phone and every sampler kit that you make. So let's say you made a kit. Imagine, you know, nine pads of different sounds from walking around LA, um, you know, rain, uh, obviously it doesn't rain very much in LA, but let's say, you know, a, a drain ocean pipe, waves, uh, ocean, ocean waves, a, a drain, <laughs> a drain pipe, uh, you know, pouring water out, you know, cars and, and, and different sounds, you could then sort of, you know, bring those sounds into your beats, you know, work on them on your desktop device when you get home through your browser um, and, and really turn that into your own unique sound that's really just you. So the sampler is, is a massive thing, which, you know, when we describe the the looper is sort of the, the um, you know, the instrument that anyone can get into and find really fun. That's the same thing with the sampler, except that, you know, beyond just anybody, the professionals or producers who, who really need to capture inspiration, the ones who, who really, you know, are creating ways to differentiate themselves with, you know, sounds that are uniquely themselves. You know, this is a huge feature for them. It, it integrates with BandLab Sounds, which is our royalty-free uh, loop sample one-shot library. You know, we've got a huge amount of artist packs and, and you know, curated uh, uh, sound packs from, you know, game sounds, Nintendo game sounds to, um, you know, trap uh, uh, vibes and those kinds of things. You can pull those all in and add them to your packs. Um, so this this was really really big for us. Another another thing that we massively upgraded was BandLab mastering, um, which you know I think not a lot of people actually necessarily know that BandLab has mastering as a core function. We actually released this for the very first time back in 2016. Automated algorithmic online mastering, um, and today you know I think more than five million tracks are being mastered annually on BandLab. Right? Um, it, it's a crazy amount of of, of of usage of that feature um and with with the upgrade we we actually you know worked with some uh, amazing grammy award winning and multi-platinum producers and engineers to try and get uh, you know our, our presets upgraded to really be at the standard and, and take it to the next level you know where they were already pretty good we wanted to make sure it was you know at that pro award-winning standard so that was a, a huge update that we did there um, as well as you know massive performance things which which mean a lot to the, the team as well as the user experience you know where we're twice as fast as as we were in the pass and compared to any competitive service out there in terms of online mastering we're 10 times as fast so we've been doing some some really really you know great tech uh, uh work on the team as well as developing that user experience to be you know both fast but also you know very very good and then it's also free so you know we sometimes we joke about the you know the, the triangle of healthcare where you want it quick you know or, or high quality as well as affordable you know i, I think with with bandlab mastering and the new update what we're calling the remastering of bandlab mastering um it, it's really hitting uh, you know all, all the edges of those trying of that triangle, and it, you know we're we're so proud of this feature that we've just brought out. Man, every every time I talk to you, Ming, I I am, I, it it pushes my thinking about everything in the in the music space and in and music tech. I mean, before when you were talking about mobile 
pre-pandemic where it meant on the go, right? And then you were saying, but you flip it on its head and people are sitting around on their couch with nothing else to do. And all of a sudden mobile, it, in a sense, it's like micro mobile, right? You, can, you don't have to be stuck to your desk. You can be anywhere in your house as well. And then with the sampler within the 10.0 release where you have mobile sampler, you're saying you're recording everything as you go. There's no, it's just removing all the friction, all the, all the things that keep you from, from doing that kind of stuff. You know, if you had hardware, that you were using for for sampling and for looping and, and all that kind of stuff. It's kind of a process. You actually have to go out and figure out how am I going to record something out in the field and then bring it back in and find the interface and integrate it in with the hardware. But you're literally saying, well, your phone is still doing all that stuff. Um, and so it just transforms uh, transforms my thinking about mobile alone. You know what I mean? Like from couch to street. <laughs> and and when, when most of this music, maybe by these folks who were, who were making music from home, literally were sitting at a desk before it, they were chained to a desk in the same way an office worker's chained to a desk. Exactly. And I think, you know, when that's why they call them music production or they, you know, they call them engineers because it's a lot of work and you actually need a level of, of um, you know, technical ability to even be able to do these things. And so that's one of the biggest things we've want, wanted to break down the barrier of, which is the reality that as we look at the next generation of music creators, you know, they learn by osmosis. They learn via YouTube. They learn by everything around them or the things that they listen to. They aren't constrained by sort of cookie cutter routes to music production or different things like that. And everyone starts mobile, right? Um, you know, I think especially I've been very fortunate to grow up in, in, in the UK and I spent a lot of time in the West, but also have experienced, you know, much younger um, regions like Southeast Asia on a personal basis as to where I grew up or where I live in and where we build our business today now and, and all the different cultures that are in the melting pot of a place like Singapore, where we're headquartered. Um, you know, understanding that, you know, the transitions and, and the ways that people's user behavior evolves. As you mentioned, you know, the pandemic has forced people away from being chained to their desk. But even that transition to mobile first in places like the US or the UK, that transition is happening you know, very fast, but it's nowhere as quick as places, you know, in the rest of the world where actually they never had desktops. They never had laptops or desktops in places like China. They, they never had email. They, they jumped straight from email to, you know, they, they leapfrogged email to chat apps, right? Um, or places like Myanmar where they leapfrogged, uh, you know, landed internet and they went straight to SIM cards and, and you know, 4G. So this is one of the things that, that we're excited by because we think that, you know, A, the music creation space is so important to general livelihood of the general livelihood of people in terms of the output and the artists that it creates and, and incredible music that's out there. But, you know, music creation was very much left behind. And so, you know, everything that we do with BandLab and this new paradigm and this ecosystem of the product suite that we have, you know, sometimes, you know, people have compared it uh, to, to sort of like a G suite for music, whether it's sounds or mastering and, and our, our, our cross-platform, you know, mix editor to the, the workflow version history of everything you can do with your projects in BandLab, plus all the social elements elements. It's the next generation workflow for music creation, which, you know, we're, we're excited that in certain places, it's leapfrogging because they've never had desktops or laptops or, you know, gone through that old workflow and they're going straight to mobile. And, you know, today we're the only platform that brings those kinds of features to Android, as well as is compatible with iOS, where historically we've always had great, great products like GarageBand. So, you know, the, the future is, is, you know, exciting on that front. But when we think about the transition of user behavior, again, it's exactly what you're saying with the pandemic is a, is a, is pulling a lot of this forward, but I don't think it's something that, you know, bounces back in that sense. It's something where people realize, well, there's a better way of doing things. And that's what progress 
uh, <laughs> that's how progress is made. You know, this brings us to a really interesting thing that, that I think about a lot, which is kind of the video and the photo making world has kind of uh, preceded what's happening in music. I mean, we've seen so many apps for creating and sharing photos and videos get so popular. I'm, I'm curious if you could talk a little about why those got so popular and music didn't and what it's going to take for music making apps to get there. Yeah, I, I think, you know, when we think about massive transitions in photo and video, we obviously think about, you know, moving from physical cameras to digital cameras. And then, you know, the, the more recent one of moving from, uh, you know, Instagram really rev revolutionized people's photo taking experience, you know, coupled by the fact that cameras became, you, you stop by having a mobile phone today, you're a photographer, right? You know, you have a camera, a very, very high quality camera on your phone that in the past you'd have to, you know, buy something from Canon or, or you know, Fujifilm or, or whatever, um, you know, camera manufacturer you like the most. And, and so, you know, that, that integration of social into the photo, into the photography experience was something that really, you know, transformed that industry. I think we're seeing that with what TikTok and Instagram Reels is doing with the, you know, the video industry, especially as it relates to short form video. But I think one of the byproducts of video and, and TikTok as a product, which is, you know, incredibly interesting, is what it has done to actually, you know, start building that trend and that, you know, the revolution of the music industry as well. Right. Um, and I think when you think about uh, the biggest tailwinds that are pushing something like BandLab along, it's the fact that today, you know, versus before, when it comes to social media, you didn't have to actually integrate music in any way to, to your social content. When it comes to UGC, if you were writing something on Twitter or you were posting something to Instagram as a photo or, or writing a post on Facebook, none of it was soundtracked. But with TikTok, which is, you know, the dominant UGC platform for, for the generation, you know, below myself even, um, everything needs to be soundtracked. And, and, and the fact that you're combining, you know, video and this ability to, to fork different ideas or to, to mimic people and create memes and have one basis, but everyone is familiar with what's going on, the zeitgeist, that is creating, you know, TikTok is the new radio station. It is driving the charts. And we can see the impact of TikTok, which... A is revolutionizing, you know, video editing and and you know putting that power into people's hands. It's also having the the result of actually changing the music industry and making everybody need to be a musician or a creator of music in some way because every bit of UGC content requires music. Wow, that that is so crazy to think about. And you know what? I want to ask you about this growth of music making because in, in addition to see these creators that are making videos and now you're saying and all those videos need music as well we should talk about this explosion of people who are making music for the first time uh, i want to take a quick break and when we get back i'm going to ask you about that we'll be right back do you have your ticket to the music tectonics conference i'm planning this event for you podcast listeners, the Music Tectonics team is organizing keynotes, panels, and networking with music tech innovators, entrepreneurs, investors, and deep thinkers, and I would love to see you there. But time's running out to get a special early bird rate at musictectonics.com. If you lock in your conference ticket before August 3rd, you'll pay just $69. That's a pretty great price to pay for three experiences, online, in the universe, and on a carousel by the sea. Mix and match to get a conference experience like no other. One ticket gets you access to online events October 25th through October 27th and in-person events outdoors by the sea in Los Angeles on November 2nd. 
That's three mornings online with keynotes, interactive panels, and speed networking on Hopin's video conference but better platform, and three afternoons in the metaverse with keynotes, instrument demos, exhibitor booths, and chance meetings in Deggy World, the avatar-based conference campus, no VR headset required. Then, one day in Los Angeles of in-person networking in real-world spaces way beyond the typical conference hotel. Bring that stack of business cards that's been gathering dust. You're going to need them. Don't wait any longer and get your early bird ticket now at musictectonics.com before the price goes up. All right, we are back talking with Meng Kwok with BandLab. And I was going to ask you, how do you think the growth of music making is going to shift the recorded industry, the recorded music industry, the touring industry, and so forth. There's so much new stuff coming online because so many people have access to tools to make music, tools like BandLab. And so we're seeing a lot of new music getting released. And sometimes it's not even released. It's just out there, floating out there. But how do you think that's going to impact uh, the traditional music industry? Well, you know, you know, I think I think there's no question that something like uh, TikTok has already impacted the music industry. I mean, if you just go to the Spotify charts, you know, everything is, is a TikTok song in some way, or you've heard the initial snippet on TikTok, and then you you actually listen to the full song for the very first time on Spotify. So, you know, that happens, you know, everything is the other way around and that, you know, you've heard it first somewhere, which is the radio station, and then you go buy the CD or you get it, you know, listened to by yourself. So, um, you know, as as we think about that, that transition and, and what it means, um, it's fascinating to, to think about how, you know, all this is going to transform what we see today, especially when it comes to music making. Um, and the result of that is, you know, we, we've talked a bit in the past about, you know, mass music, you know, we're, we're in the age of mass music consumption, you know, especially as a DSP started coming into play and, and you saw the, the industry recovering. But actually, you know, a, a phrase that we use a lot in, inside the company is that we're in the age of mass music creation and we're entering that age right now. You know, we see it every day, so we feel like we're in it. But I think for a lot of people, they're realizing, you know, we are entering the age of mass music creation empowered by BandLab, um, you know, and tools that bring music making to the palm of people's hands. And we haven't seen the effect yet. We've seen the effect of, you know, great songs becoming massive on TikTok, you know, that are now driving the charts, um, you know, but that's still very much driven by what I would say the industry, you know, which obviously serves a massive purpose uh, to support artists and, and, and drive what, what goes around in the world. You know, we're seeing, you know, labels having their songs being released on TikTok and then becoming massive hits. You're seeing artists who have massive hits from before, even like sleeper hits that weren't big and now becoming very, very big on the charts again, you know, whether it's Fleet with Mac or, or whether it's Bjork or whether it's, uh, you know, other artists like that who are, are seeing revivals of stuff they've made in the past. Um, you know, uh, and, and what, what's really cool about that is we're seeing the impact of the short form video um, sort of product and social experience driving music. What we haven't seen yet is the impact of mass music creation in the same way we've seen, um, you know, that that side of the coin. So, you know, I would say that in two to three years or four years, probably significantly quicker as people realize that, you know, meme culture or sort of like the, the big hit songs and they start looking for, you know, originality in themselves and start making music on place like Banner to differentiate and create more unique content because that's always going to happen. Those are the cycles that things go in. You know, people always find ways to differentiate when everything becomes the same. Um, you're going to see the rise of the music that's created in people's hands now start to drive the, you know, uh, uh, the content and the charts of the future. So 
I think in, in some senses, you know, it, it's a big question, but, uh, you know, my, my answer is very much a, a muddled one in trying to explain that, you know, we haven't seen the effects of it yet, but I think we're going to see the effects of it very soon. I mean, it seems like the effects are going to be that there'll be people who come out of nowhere with music that becomes very popular and exactly. that the, the traditional um, labels or other other kind of curators or A&R decision makers and so forth might not be able to jump on those fast enough because there's so many people that are making music. Well, yeah. And I think, you know, you summarize, that's why you're doing this job, right? You summarize <laughs> it in 30 seconds, you know, what I took three minutes to try and get around the, <laughs> the, the point of, um, you know, everything that you're seeing that's driving the chart today out of UGC are people, especially if you're in the industry, some may be unknown to people outside, but generally, if you're in the industry, you've heard of many of the names before. You're familiar with them because of the label structure or, you know, they've had hits before in the past. But to your point, absolute unknowns, you know, who will become, you know, the, the next Lil Nas X's. And, you know, he's an example of someone who was very much, you know, not, not so well known and had a massive hit out of, out of, uh, you know, TikTok and that side of the world. And that's just going to become commonplace. And that's, you know, going to be not just commonplace on a global perspective, but also on a regional and a local perspective as, as, you know, music is such a, a localized thing. Well, I, I, I hate to go to a controversial place in the conversation, um, uh, but but there's so much conversation about the value of music. And I'm curious, uh, you know, in fact, people saying music's being devalued in the music space right now. And I'm curious if you have thoughts on how this tidal wave of music making that's about to hit, we don't know exactly when, or it's already hitting, but we haven't seen the full impact. How's that going to affect the value of music? And, and how do you think that should be addressed? Well, you know, Sometimes this question is posed from from you know the concept of is is the music industry over or you know wh- how does the machine work and and you know um, when we look at it as as BandLab you know we we tend to zoom out a little bit because we try and think about you know not just the trends of today but the trends of the future and and, and you know the world of recorded music which is what we talk a lot about in terms of the transition from physical to digital or, or the industry in inverted commas. Um, if we zoom out, you know, there, there was on, there's only been a very short amount of time that we've been able to package and productize music and sell it, you know, as a recorded format for a lot of money with all the rights associated with it, right? If you go back in time, back in the Middle Ages, there was no such thing as rights. You know, the, the value of music was was uh, was what someone was willing to pay you for. It was live music. Live music was the past, present, and the future. Um, and and if music wasn't copied and reshared or played by somebody else, it would disappear. Before for notation, you know, if someone didn't copy what you did and perform it for somebody else and say, you know, and give attribution, that song would have just disappeared into the ether and we would never have sort of amazing Gregorian chants or, or hymns or, or things from, from back in the day. So, you know, I, I think as what does that mean for the value of music? You know, when it comes to DSPs and, and the assigned value of music of going from a product and a physical product that had distribution costs to moving to something that now can be distributed digitally. The costs associated are not necessarily or or assigned in the past were not necessarily assigned on the value of the content itself. It was very much actually assigned on the production costs of actually making that possible to distribute. So, um, you know, when it comes to the production cost of music, especially when powered by things like BandLab, there's no question. The, the production costs will continue to get lower and lower and lower and will trend to zero. You know, BandLab is free. So making a track on BandLab at a quality level that the Beatles didn't have, you know, everyone jokes that, uh, you know, a, a DAW or a laptop today in the palm of your hands with a mobile phone is more, you know, it's higher technology than the Beatles had when they recorded their albums. Um, it, it, it's now in the palm of people's hands and it's completely free. 
So, you know, that's already trending to zero in terms of production costs and then distribution costs or, you know, the value assigned to how much you get paid per stream. That's more a function of the industry and, and, and you know, uh, subscription revenue out of the great DSPs out there will always trend to zero because the amount of music will keep going up and the subscription costs or the, you know, the fees will never keep, be able to keep up. And therefore, just by simple economics and supply and demand, you know, that, that value will continue to go lower and lower and continue to trend to zero. So that's scary in some senses, but in some ways it's reverting back to the mean of artists understanding that music isn't the product and music is the service and the artist is the product at the end of the day. You know, they are the creative, they are the brilliance that actually makes something like music possible. And therefore, you know, they are the ones who deserve to be paid and need to be um, able to monetize their talents and be, be rewarded as their fans and their, and their audience are willing to, um, to, to support them and monetize for them. So, you know, I think the value of music is in some ways an interesting question, but I think it goes back to how do we ensure that artists are fairly compensated and how do we ensure that the, the, the value of the artist doesn't go away. And I think in a world of today where, you know, empowered by the internet, artists can reach more fans than ever before, you know, share with them absolutely everything that goes on with a day and differentiate themselves in their personality and in the things that they like and what inspires them. Um, the value of the artist has the greatest potential it's ever been. They don't need people in the middle of the chain and they can go straight direct to fan. Um, and, and, you know, I think the value of the artist today is higher than ever before because of the Internet. There are more ways to extend being an artist, um, you know, beyond just music. And, and if you see, you know, yourself as the product, um, that, that's an interesting place to be. There are obviously still challenges. The challenge today is in distribution, is differentiation. How do you stand up above the noise? But that's just the result of having more competition. So, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's, uh, it's a time in which music will, as a product, will continue to get devalued. But I think there are very, very intelligent, great companies out there who are looking at ways of empowering the value of the artist. And that's something, you know, we are also thinking very, very serious about. And, you know, a lot of the features that we've released in the past couple of months or, you know, in the last years as we've built up to the next phase and generation of FanLab, which is supporting our artists as they mature, helping them earn a living, helping them make money from their music or, or, or support their careers and their engagements and connections with their fans. You know, supporting the value of the artist is something which, you know, must be invested in and it is the future and in some ways you know ironically it was also the past wow man once again you've just flipped my brain upside down Ming, <laughs> and it's got me thinking about things in a way that i hadn't when i asked the question um and it's so interesting to think about that in terms of the value of the artist rather than the value of the music and what does that mean for how uh, an artist has a career and and in a way you're saying they have this huge reach or they have the potential for this huge reach but how they monetize has a lot to do with how they choose to spend their time are they are, are they now going to monetize through live concerts or possibly custom music, or maybe from VIP or fan one-to-one -one interactions and things like that. And uh, it's it's interesting because the conversation, I think, in the industry has a lot been about kind of the history of how recorded music has been charged for, paid for, who gets paid out, and so forth. And what I hear you saying is, because of technology, it's inevitable that the prices of that or the, the, the exchange of that are going to continue to be challenged and get closer and closer to zero. But that doesn't mean that that's the only opportunity for even a recording artist to build a career. And it's super interesting to think that way. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I want to thank you for like, once again, <laughs> making my brain just melt a little bit. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, you know, if we think, as you said, right, the recorded the recorded industry was very much focused on the product because that was driving the revenue, right, and that was driving, you know, the the. the the money at the top of the game, and that's how everyone sort of quantified it. But if you think back to the crux of what labels did, you know, they were financing and they were believing in artists. They were betting on the first album. They believed in the value of the artists. And what they paid or what they assigned was actually, again, a function of production costs a lot of the time, right? Because they needed to pay for recording studios and they needed to pay for these things. But when you started getting artists that were signed onto multi-year deals, a career artist, and they would bet on many different people, you know, that was investing in the value of the artist much more so than the product. The product was just how they recouped the money they invested. And I think, again, as we think about what this means to the value of the artist in the future, back in the day, because of complexity in production as well as in distribution, only a fixed number of artists were able to get that kind of investment you know, when we, as we think about startups and that kind of culture and technology that we live in, you know, a fixed number of people because of the label system, even though the labels were investing in artists and investing the value of the artists, what's, it, what's really, really, you know, fascinating and going to be extremely exciting and already is for many, many artists out there, we just don't even know them and they have massive fan bases and they've got careers by themselves is that, you know, the fact that we're all able to engage on a one-to-many level or a one-to-one level, you know, on a global perspective, any country, anywhere around the world, that sort of microfinancing of all these tiny businesses, every artist who who sees themselves as, as aspiring to earn a living or build a career from just music alone is a small business, right? The microfinancing of where artists can invest directly in an artist and support them, whether it was through Kickstarter or whether it's through NFTs and, and new ways uh, that, that people are finding ways to, to get that support from their fan base. It's distributed at a scale and able to empower so many more artists than ever before. And I think, again, you know, to, to the point of like the value of the artist, the value of the revenue for the product will fundamentally change and already is changing. And we're seeing some positives in the growth of streaming revenue. But the number of artists, the sheer quantity of artists and the amount of artist to fan financing and support that, that you know, in my opinion, you know, completely outweighs what the past label system could do is just validating and reiterating and building upon, you know, this massive value of artist uh, ecosystem that, um, you know, where we're going to be living in for the next couple of years and hopefully, you know, many years into the future. Amazing. Well, this is so interesting. Um, This has been an absolute blast. Before we wrap up and speaking of financing, you have an investment arm called Caldecat Ventures um, and BandLab has come in as a supernova sponsor for the upcoming Music Tectonics Conference this October and November. Um, it would be fun just to touch base real quick. Um, we, we're, we're, you guys are actually going to be in supporting the uh, startup competition that we have at Music Tectonics. We launched last year for the first year. And so it'd be great to ask you, what are you looking to invest in? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, this is something which obviously has been, you know, relatively under the radar. You're, you know, one of the first people who actually, uh, you know, know about this as a vehicle. Um, you know, we've generally been doing sort of more private investments on, on a personal basis, you know, as well as on a group basis. You know, one of our biggest uh, company values at Banner Technologies is innovation, right? As a, as a, we, we sometimes don't even call ourselves a tech company anymore because tech is just expected, and and that sort of sense of of you know utilizing technology to its full capacity is just expected in any business today. But but innovation is something we truly believe in, and and that's really what drives you know beyond music and the people that we help. You know the people within the company and, and myself personally. So you know uh, supporting obviously what you guys are doing is is uh, you know. Uh, 
priority number one, as well as the fact that when it comes to supporting future companies and, and you know, the future band labs of the world, um, that's something on a personal basis I'm, I'm very passionate about. Um, you know, there's, we're traditionally operators, and I think that comes with a different level of experience and understanding of what things go on. And, you know, on a personal basis, the things that we look on in my, in, in sort of my personal arm of CalCode Ventures is things around, you know, MMT, music, media, and technology. Those are really the areas where, where um, you know, I personally have operated businesses in as well as, you know, always look at the space and, and you know, excited by the possibilities out there that you know, we will never get around or be able to sort of, uh, you know, do ourselves, um, you know, but things that really have a consumer angle, uh, music angle, media angle, as well as obviously, you know, technology at the core of everything they do is, is a big part of, um, you know, the types of investments and the types of startups that, you know, we've been looking at in the space and, and, and you know, placing our bets on. Well, so a lot of cool opportunities for our listeners, those of you out there who have startups, you should definitely come to Music Tectonics, the conference, go to the website, sign up for the newsletter so we can send more information out as we uh, roll out the application process for the Music Tectonics startup competition that Band Lab is supporting and presenting. Mang, this has been an absolute pleasure. It's so great to have you on the podcast. Um, I feel like we could talk for another hour easily, um, but uh, I, I, th- I think this is a good dive in and, and people can find out more when they come to the conference because you're going to be there. <laughs> Likewise, it's always a pleasure to chat, Dimitri, and, and you know we'll, we'll see you soon at the conference. And congratulations on 10.0 BandLab. If you guys haven't downloaded it, it is a blast. That The, the loop process is so easy to get into. Um, uh, I've done it. I've got people on my team who've done it. I've got a 12-year-old son who's done it. Everybody's just um, ha- has a blast first time they use it, and I uh, can't wait to see what else happens. That. Mang, thanks again so much for joining me. I have some exciting news for music tech startups. Applications are open for our second annual music tech pitch competition, part of the 2021 Music Tectonics Conference. We've teamed up with BandLab to make this year's event even more awesome. So here it is. BandLab presents Swimming with Narwhals, a music tech startup competition. Startups across any part of the music tech ecosystem are invited to apply with a new additional emphasis on music creation and fan-facing companies. Apply at musictectonics.com by August 16th, 2021. To be eligible, your startup must have a valuation under $2 million US, and you must purchase a conference ticket. Luckily for you, tickets are available at an early bird rate of $69 through August 2nd, 2021. Our jury will select 10 semi-finalists to pitch at Music Tectonics online pre-conference events. Four finalists will then go on to pitch at the online conference October 25th through 27th, 2021. Best of all, Band Lab's investment arm, Caldecott Ventures, has earmarked up to $50,000 to invest in one of our winners. We won't throw you in a ruthless shark tank. We invite you instead to swim with the narwhals, the unicorns of the sea. Learn more and apply at musictectonics.com. Thanks for listening to Music Tectonics. If you like what you hear, please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We put out new episodes every week. Want more? Find it at musictectonics.com. You can dig deeper into this episode, learn about our annual conference, get the Music Tectonics app, and sign up for our newsletter. MusicTectonics.com has it all. Also, look for Music Tectonics on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Clubhouse. And connect with me, Dimitri Vitsa, on LinkedIn. Peace. 
You're listening to Music Tectonics. <laughs>